Uh, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, I want to begin in verse 35. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Matthew chapter 9, we'll begin in verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the words of Jesus. We ask we would learn from these words, and as we look at our own lives, that you would show us what needs to be done. If there's decisions to be made, we ask that would be done today. We ask you would confront us, comfort us, challenge us, whatever we need. We know that your word is sufficient, and we ask that your word would definitely be shared with us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Things are definitely different than they were like a month ago. If you take the difference between like the last week of May, the last week of June, the last week of July, the last week of August, everything pretty much stays kind of the same. But oh, when you get to talking about the last half of September, it's changing, isn't it? Days are getting notably a little shorter, but aren't we glad that the nights are getting a little cooler? Temperatures have changed, so we know the seasons are changing. And we know, of course, one of the uh, key evidences of the, the seasons changing, fair starts tomorrow. I know a lot of our FFA kids showing animals and so forth. The fair comes up and starts, and we realize it doesn't seem to be like, like it's time for that. So we know the seasons are changing. And we know, of course, uh, football has started. That's kind of a big thing, you know. So the fall brings forth a lot of changes. You see, this time of the year is a, is a big change for us. But through the centuries, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, this time of the year was a much more crucial time for families and entire communities. And even just a, a couple of generations ago, this time of the year was crucial because it was harvest time. And at one time, the whole society of our country revolved around harvest time. In fact, we still see lingering evidences of that. Why do we wait till the last part of August to start school? Why does school turn out in the summer and doesn't start till, uh, till uh, late August or September? Traditionally, they would start in early September. You know why? So the kids could help get the crop in before they went to school. So even our calendar sometime revolves around this harvest time. We know, of course, that in the Bible, harvest time was a big time of celebration. If you read through the book of Ruth, you know they had their own big harvest festival when they gathered the wheat. And we still have harvest festivals and County fairs are typically held this time of the year because it was the county fair that people would show off their crops. Jesus used the illustration of 
the harvest several times in his teaching. Now, it's important for us to understand some things. In our society today, we may not grasp the importance or the lessons he was trying to give to us, but we want to look at some things about the harvest and how it definitely, when Jesus used it in spiritual matters, it tells us a world of information. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, just simply says, he went around the villages teaching and preaching the kingdom of God. And then, of course, he saw all the people, and he had to tell his disciples. Let me put this into context. The harvest is plentiful. Now, he wasn't looking at corn. He wasn't looking at hay. He wasn't looking at wheat. He was looking at people. So we understand the harvest has to do with ministry. It has to do with what we're doing here, and it has to do with God's attitude toward us. Now, several things we notice about the harvest. First of all, the coming of a harvest is evidence that somebody has done work in an earlier time. Now, because he, he didn't say dime of gathering is near. Here's what happens. All right. If you go out and find a patch of wild blackberries and you go out and pick blackberries, you're not gathering a harvest. Because if you look at the specific Greek word and the specific English word for harvest, it means that you're gathering in a cultivated crop. So the fact that he used the word harvest meant that somebody had planted something. Somebody had worked that field. Somebody had done some work to bring it to this point. So the fact that there's a harvest meant that work has gone on in the past. A lot of work had gone on in the past. A deliberate effort. In this case, it's crowds of people coming to Jesus. Now, who had done the work before that? Well, we understand that these people were coming Many of them, most of them, because they were hungry and looking for the coming Messiah. How did they know the Messiah was coming? Well, somebody had done some work before them. You see, the law and the prophets all talked about the coming of the Messiah. So when the law was written down and the prophets did their work through the centuries, and when you look at the prophets, when you look over in the latter part of the Old Testament, their work spanned a couple of centuries. These people faithfully did their work, and they faithfully said, He's coming. The Messiah's coming. And they did their work. And because they did their work, here's the harvest. And it could have been, of course, for generations before. Somebody had done some work. Could have been John the Baptist and his preaching brought all these people because you know what John the Baptist said? Not only he's coming, but he also said he's here. He's here right now. It's not that he's coming a long way off, but he's coming. And then he pointed at him. He said, there he is, the Lamb of God. Could have been, of course, the work of Jesus himself. John chapter 4 records Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. And it says that all these people were coming out of the village to come to see. And Jesus said something about a harvest in John chapter 4. 
in verse 35. He says, don't you say there's still yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. Now, what was he talking about? The people coming out of Samaria to that well. He said, look at them. There's the harvest. Then he said this, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. In this the saying is true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored. You have entered into their labors. When it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to church things, when we have a harvest, when things happen, it means that somebody has done some work. Now, it may be this immediate generation. It may be the people here. It may be the people here, and you've done work, and now it's paying off. It could have been the generations before us, the generations that worked hard to make sure that this church would stay open in some lean times. It could have been the generations way before them, and we know they worked hard to bring the message of the gospel to America during the time of the formation of our country. It was the generations before them that evangelized Europe. It was generations before them that took the gospel to every corner of the continent. We know that generation after generation has worked, and the reason we have a harvest today is because somebody's done some work. Could have been you, could have been me, could have been somebody else in the last generation. This harvest doesn't happen unless work takes place. Secondly, a specific harvest is a reflection of what we've done earlier. Now we're talking about our own personal lives, individually and as a church. What we've done earlier will be reflected in the harvest. What we harvest is a reflection of what we've done earlier. Everybody knows, of course, when you live next to the church, everybody sees what's going on. But we have this little garden out here. You know, you've seen the little garden out here? And, of course, uh, I generally will chop up the dirt and that kind of thing and Sharon plants it and everything. And that's why it all looks so good and grows so good. Is she does all of that. And so we, we had uh, of green beans and pintos, and now we've got the crowders that are finished up and so forth, you know. And, and we worked hard all summer on it, but did you know I didn't get a single ear of corn out of that patch. Not, not one ear of corn did I get out of the patch. And you know the reason why? I didn't plant any corn. So therefore, what I gathered out of there was a reflection of what I had done earlier. What we gather in the harvest of our life is a reflection of what we're willing to do earlier. Now, Paul said it this way in the book of 2 Corinthians. He said, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And you know what he's talking about? He wasn't talking about corn and wheat and beans. He was talking about our spiritual lives. He says, when we sow sparingly and we put very little into our service for the Lord, then we wonder why life is just so underwhelming. He said, we've sowed sparingly. There's no harvest because we didn't plant anything. We didn't invest anything in God's kingdom work, whether it be our time, our resources, our energy. You see, our harvest is a reflection of what we're willing to sow. 
Now, when we're willing to sow bountifully or generously, it will show. Now, it may not show immediately because I think we all know crop takes time. I think it's from the time you, you plant your peas and they just start coming up, it takes six long weeks before you're picking peas. You got to wait on it. And so we invest and we invest and we invest and we say, nothing's working. Well, the law of the harvest is it's going to be later. It's going to be later. But, but God said you'll reap in due time if you don't faint. Now, all right, we've done all the hard work. We've invested. We have sowed generously. And the harvest comes and, oh, man, it's time to rest. Oh, no, no. You see, when the harvest comes, it's more important than ever to get the work. Jesus said it this way. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but we need more workers now than we've ever needed. He said, the laborers are few. It's not enough. It's not enough. He said, we need you to pray for more workers. You know, you have the illustration. When the harvest comes, it's time for more workers. But watch this. It's time for more workers now. Now. You know, when I was a kid, uh, my dad had a co-worker that had a little hay field that he had on the side. So one day in June, he said to me and my brother, said, y'all want to go help Mr. Jim haul some hay? And, of course, that was when we had square bales of hay. Oh, yeah, we, we were all over that. We thought we could earn us a little money. So we went and we pitched hay for the afternoon. Probably wasn't more than 100 bales. But, oh, that turned into a lot of work simply because Word got out that you could call Ralph's boys, make one phone call, you get two hands. You get two hands, equally matched. Our phone rang all summer. Oh, we pitched hay. You know what I found out about hay, and some of you guys have hay? When it's on the ground, you can't wait till next week to deal with it. You got to work, and you've got to work right now. I remember getting that hay up, and dark would come, and they'd turn on the truck headlights. We'd be hauling hay. No, same thing with purple whole peas. They start turning purple. It's like, nah, I got too much going on. I'll do it next week. Oh, no, you got to be working now. Whether it comes to hay, whether it comes to, to peas or beans or whatever. You remember the parable of the vineyard and the workers in Matthew chapter 20 where he kept hiring workers and hiring workers and hiring. The grape harvest was coming off. He said, I got to get it in now. You see, when the harvest comes, it's time for more work to be done. And he said this in John chapter 4. He said, look up and look on the fields. The harvest is ready right now. And the outcome of the harvest depends on us and what we're willing to do with the harvest. Quite interestingly, if you look at the next chapter, let me start with verse 37. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into his harvest. Now, look in verse 5 of chapter 10. These 12 Jesus sent out. Wow. 
You pray for the Lord to send out laborers. And then he said, guess what, guys? You are the answer to your own prayer. And he sent them out. Did you know this passage of Scripture is mentioned again? This same thing, pray for the Lord of the harvest. And I believe Luke. And the very next verse it says, and he sent out another 70. Sent out another 70, two by two. Both times he said, we need more laborers, and y'all need to be praying. And then he said, oh, look, God's answered our prayer. You're here. So he started sending them out. When the harvest comes, it's more important than ever for us to work. And the harvest, Jesus said, is here right now. He said, don't say there's another day. Four months later, there's a harvest. He said, look around you. There's plenty of opportunities for all of us to be working because the harvest is people. The harvest, people who need God. Now, we can find them everywhere. We can find them all the time. But then another thing we want to do before we, we start wrapping up, harvest reminds us of the beautiful truths about God. Because there's some beautiful truths about God that we can learn. First of all, it gives us our absolute dependence upon his working. Jesus talked about the harvest in an indirect way in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 26, he said this. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And he begins to say, the kingdom of God. So that's talking about our work for him. Talking about our lives for him. The kingdom of God is as if man should scatter seed on the ground, and he should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, and he himself does not know how. The seed sprouts. Now, we do our part. We can plant, put up the the rows. We can make the rows up. We can plant them all nice little rows there. You always put the fertilizer on it. But then that seed comes up. Can we do anything to make that seed sprout? No. Do we do anything for that seed to sprout? No. That's something that's totally in the hands of God. That's something that only God can do, but it is something that God does. Now, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, that church kind of, for some reason, kind of gotten, they, they had little factions here because some of them wanted to follow Apollos, who was a big leader in the church, and some of them said, no, 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 that's not good. We're going to follow Paul. And Paul had to set them straight and said, who's Apollos and who's Paul? He said, I just planted the seed. Apollos watered the seed. I worked at one time with your church, and Apollos worked another time at church. But you know what he said? God brought the increase. God did it. There's a part of our work here that only God can do. Now, there's a part of it he wants us to do. That's when he said, the harvest is plentiful. We need people to get to work. He told his disciples, the fields are white on the harvest. It's time to go to work right now. But then there's a part of the harvest that only God can do. But God is faithful to do that part. Are we faithful to do our part? And then, did you know the harvest Harvest time that comes around every year, every year, every year. 
It's a testimony to the continual mercy of God. You know where we find that? All the way back in the first book of the Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter 8. While you're turning, I don't know if you had this experience, but when I was growing up, and, and maybe you'd never heard this, but when I was growing up, I heard from a lot of different people. And they'd be talking about the weather. They'd be talking about the weather and that it's kind of warm at Christmas time. And you know how sometimes you're ready for some cold weather to be real warm at Christmas time, hot in December, and they'd say something like this. Well, you know what the Bible says. Toward the end of time, you won't be able to tell one season from another season. There won't be any seasons. You ever heard that? Now, what does the Bible really say? Look in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. He worshiped. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. Look at this. Listen close. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. All the seasons won't run together. God said quite the opposite. There'll always be a summer. There'll always be a winter. There'll always be planting time. And watch this. There'll always be a harvest. So every year when the crops come in, every single year when the crops come in, that was a reminder of a promise that God made a long time ago. And he said, man is evil. Man is evil. But I have mercy on man. And he said, I will never send a flood to destroy every living thing on the earth. Now, that does not mean that man's off the hook. We're sinners. And we deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus saw us as we are. And he loved us anyway. He was moved with compassion on the crowds. And he said, there's the harvest. What that meant is, look at all those lost people. I sure love them. Won't somebody reach them? We need people to reach them. The laborers are few. I sure love them. Will you love them too? Will you reach them? Can I get some workers? To go into the harvest? Because there's plenty for everybody to do. If you're here and you don't know Christ, he sees us in all our ugliness and he loves us anyway. Is there a decision you need to make for him this morning? Maybe you've never accepted him. Maybe you have to say, look, I have to admit, I hadn't invested hardly anything in God's work, but I want to change that. I'm going to make some commitments to do better and to be better. And to do more, you can do that right where you are. You can come up and pray. But I think the, the harvest teaches us a lot about God, and that is 
we all have a decision to make of what we will do, what we will invest, how we'll live, and how we will respond to God as we stand and sing. What number? <laughs>